Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. I am really excited about the holiday seasons, uh, season that we have just recently entered into, and uh, as we are entering into the season that is also known as Advent, we have decided that we are going to begin a new teaching series that we've entitled, The Light Has Dawned. And you know, for those of you who don't know what the word Advent means, it, it simply means the coming or the arrival of. And you know, as Christians, you may not know this, but we celebrate two Advents, We celebrate Christmas, which is the advent, the first advent, when Jesus came to earth. We look back 2,000 years ago, and now we are looking forward to the second advent, when Jesus will return to earth, he will judge his enemies, he will set up his kingdom, he will bring his people to himself who are waiting for him, and he will make all things new. And so... I am uh, really excited about spending some time uh, this year. Uh, We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the lives of individuals who played a role in that first advent uh, when Jesus came. And so today, we are going to be looking at a couple, you may or may not be familiar with them, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So... uh, Would you stand with me right now in honor of the reading of God's holy word? I'm going to read, and you can follow along in your copy of the word of God, or it will be on the screen for you. But this is the word of God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he, that is Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. 
and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, speaking of the Messiah, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Why? To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. I've jumped down to verse 24. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we enter into this season where we celebrate your first advent when you came as a little baby in a manger. As we look back in time, when the fullness of time had come and you sent forth your son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Lord, we ask that you would fill our hearts this morning with praise, with wonder, and faith that we might be encouraged and that we might be empowered to live lives as we we prepare for your second advent when you will return for your people. I pray these things in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we're getting started this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever questioned God's plan for your life? Thank you. Have you ever not questioned God's plan for your life? Have you ever questioned God's plan? And what I mean by that, have you ever looked at your circumstances that surrounded you and you've been tempted to think, God, where are you? Or God, what are you doing? Uh, Or God, are you there? Well, you know, uh, if we're honest, I think all of us can say, you know, we've been there. And, And I can remember... Uh, a time when uh, Kelly and I had just gotten married. I had graduated college with a four-year degree, which gave me the skills to work at Chick-fil-A. And I remember I was working as an intern at a church in Durham, North Carolina, making uh, around $150 a week. Uh, it was not enough to live on, and so I had to get a part-time job. And, and this builder was gracious enough to hire me to work for him for $5 an hour, $5 an hour, and as a basic laborer. And I took the job because I needed the money, and I knew, I knew that this was not God's plan for me, ultimately, because I knew that God's plan for me was to be in the ministry, to go to seminary eventually. And, you know, this was just kind of like while I was waiting to get married. And so I took the job. Uh, and knowing that God was not going to make me into a blue-collared worker. You know, I was going to be of the cloth. And so uh, I remember Kelly, uh, she, she would describe back then that my hands uh, were, were piano hands. Uh, and, and what she meant, means by that is they were soft and they had no calluses on them, you know. Uh, I had to use gloves when I used a shovel. So if you have to do that, you have piano hands. But I took the job and uh, thinking it would be just short and 
I'd be out of there a week or two. Well, a week turned into a month. A month turned into years. And, and I can remember times in that situation where I was literally uh, carrying tuba tins uh, in the mud, and, and there's a skill to know how to, to carry lumber, and whether you realize that or not. But I learned that. But I can remember thinking, uh, you know, what is going on here? I felt so insecure because. Back then, I couldn't read a tape measure other than where, whether it was one inch, two inch, but I didn't know what those little sixteenths and eighths and quarters were in, in between there. Um, I also couldn't uh, cut straight with a skill saw. It was just, ve- I was very insecure. My boss would always laugh at me, uh, you know, with what, he was a Christian, but he was always like, man, you're meant to be in the ministry, not to be a builder. And I was like, I know that, but I can't get out of this, you know? And I remember thinking, what in the world is going on right now. Um, th- this, is, this is not, this can't be God's plan for me. Uh, I'm miserable. My hands are like, they're peeling like melted wax as, I, as I'm trying to get calluses on them. And, and I felt like I was wasting my time because I was wanting to serve the Lord, not do, you know, this kind of blue-collared work. And, and I was like, God, I know this isn't your plan. Where, where are you in all this? And, and you know, at the time, uh, that didn't make sense to me. Now, if you know me, you know that I learned how to build houses over the years. And I can look back at 30 years later and go, oh, that's what God was doing. At the time, it didn't make sense. But now it makes perfect sense because I've used that skill in order to provide for my family and to, uh, to bless other people in the ministry through a, 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 something that he was doing in me back then that did not make sense. God had a bigger plan than I had for me. And maybe this morning you're in that place right now. You're you're looking at your circumstances in life, and you're saying, this cannot be God's plan for me. And and you're tempted to question God right now. And that temptation, here's what that temptation looks like. You're tempted to, you know, maybe like give in to uh, sin, or you're tempted to give less of yourself, or you're tempted to just give up, or maybe you've already given up. Or maybe you've never, ever given in to God in the first place. So you're in one of those camps right now, maybe this morning. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're in this passage today because I think there's a lot that we're going to be able to learn from this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They experienced similar frustrations in their life while faithfully serving God. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And this is my... A uh, big idea for today. I'm just going to give it to you up front, and that is this. And if you got a weekly, you can write it on the back there. We can always completely entrust ourselves or our lives to God. I'm going to say that again. We can always completely entrust ourselves, our, our lives to God, no matter what. That's the big idea that I want us to to walk away with this morning. I want you to have that type of confidence when you walk out of here this morning. And here's the reason why, and you can write this down too, and it's because God has a plan, singular plan. God has a plan, a singular plan of redemption. 
And as we say week after week that God has written a book, right? And that book is filled with multiple true stories. But you know what? Those true stories are all woven together to point to this one big plan, to this one master story. And so as we're celebrating Advent, I thought that it would be that that it's important for us to take the time to look at when was the first advent prophesied by God. When was when did God prophesy that he would send a savior? And many of you may know this, you may not know this, but it's in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I want us to look at that. It's 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 back when Adam and Eve have just fallen and God is pronouncing judgment on the serpent. He says this in in 3:15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then here it is. He, he, the Messiah, the Christ shall bruise your head. Now, remember, he's talking to the serpent. He's going to bruise your head. Or another word for bruise is crush. I like that word better. He, he's going to crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, in that proclamation, God is revealing up front his love for humanity. He's revealing that, and that through Eve, through Adam and Eve, you're, I'm going to send you a descendant who will be a savior who will eventually overthrow all evil, everything you've messed up. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to restore all creation, and I'm going to bring God's people together. For myself. Okay, that's what he's promising Adam and Eve in the garden as he's, as he's giving judgment to the serpent. And from that day, you know how many years pass before this fulfillment happens? 3,600 years or so pass before this happens. And they're thinking it's going to happen right away, but it's 3,600 years. You think you've waited long? 3,600 years. And during that time, God, you know, he raises up prophets, he raises up kings, he raises up judges and leaders to remind his people, hey, don't forget my promise I made back in, in Genesis 3.15. The Messiah is coming. I am going to send you a Messiah. And he does that all throughout the Old Testament. And um, at the end of Malachi, the book of Malachi or Malachi, he, God closes the Old Testament with these prophetic words. He says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he, this might echo what we read earlier this morning, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their, to, to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He says, I'm going to send, before I send the Messiah, before he comes up on the, on the scene, I'm going to send my prophet, and he's going to prepare the way for him. And then God goes silent for 400 years. For four centuries, there is not a prophetic voice among God's people. That is until we get to our passage today. 
That is until God breaks his silence in an unpredictable way. He sends the angel Gabriel to bring good news to a priest whose name was Zechariah. And Zechariah's name, you know what it means? It means the Lord remembers. It means the Lord watches over you. And his wife Elizabeth, her name means my God is faithful. My God keeps his promises. And so as we're moving forward this morning with the big idea that that we can always completely entrust ourselves to God and that God has a plan. Underneath this plan, I have three gospel truths that I want to give you this morning because if we will remember these truths, they will help us to entrust ourselves to God when things don't make sense. Okay, so here's the first one. We need to remember that God's plan rarely makes sense at the time. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? That God's plan rarely makes sense at the time. And that's what's going on in our passage today. That's what our passage reminds us of. Let's look at verse 6. And it says, and they, speaking again of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now you talk about, humanly speaking, something not making sense at the time. That's, this to me does not make sense, does it? Um, verse 6, as, as you go through the passage, verse 6 shows that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and it says they, blame, they uh, walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know what it doesn't mean. We know that it doesn't mean that they were sinless, that they never failed the Lord. How do we know that? Well, we just came out of the book of, of Romans. We've taken a break from that. And all through the book of Romans, Paul has been convincing us that uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that they were not sinless, but what it means is, is that they were loyal and devoted followers of God, that they, they walked by faith, they served and obeyed God through faith, not perfectly, you need to hear this, not perfectly, but faithfully. They faithfully served the Lord. And Luke, I think Luke wants us to see this clearly, so that one, when we get to verse 7, it will rightly land upon our ears correctly. Because in verse 7, it says, although they walked righteously, they had no child. And it's not because of two things. It's not because they didn't want children. It appears in verse 13 that Zacharias had been praying for children for years. And uh, uh, human, humanly speaking, he had come to, a, it seems like he came to a place where he realized, you know what, uh, that dream is not going to be fulfilled in my life, in our life. That ship has sailed because we are advanced in years. That there's no way that that's going to humanly happen. And, and I'm sure, I mean, I am sure uh, that they struggled with this, with God's plan. Um, and here's, here's why it doesn't make sense to me. It's because they would have been amazing parents, wouldn't they? Um, and didn't God realize this? That if he had given them children, they would have raised godly offspring. 
Uh, they would have raised them to know and to love the Lord. Now, the children would have had to, to choose to do that, but they would have at least been in an environment where they would have been raised to know and love the Lord and fear him. So it doesn't make sense to me why God wouldn't give them children. And I can imagine that they would struggle every time they would see what they desired right before them with other parents, other families, things, the thing that they wanted. But up to this point, God's plan, God's plan for them is a heartbreaking no. No, I'm not going to give you children. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, they had to, re- to endure the reproach of the community that they were in. Because back in these times, uh, in Jewish culture, children either would make you or they would break you. And what I mean by that is children were seen by the community as proof that God's favor was upon you. Now, they would take scriptures, and I'm going to read two of them in just a second. They would take scriptures that, and misapply them, scriptures like Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Or uh, Psalm 128, uh, verses 1 through 4 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. Everyone who who fears the Lord and walks in his way. Why? Verse 3 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So they would take these scriptures and misapply them, say, you fear the Lord, you get children. And that's proof that you are fearing the Lord and walking with him. And so with this misguided mindset, I think that many would, you know, raise the eyebrow when they, when they would see Zechariah and Elizabeth. They would speculate, huh, I wonder, I wonder what they, they did, what they didn't do to cause God's disfavor to be upon them. And not only that, I think that they probably asked that question too. Have you ever asked that question? When you've been in a situation where it doesn't seem like God is, is, is working, is, did I do something wrong? And I think that they would have questioned, is it something we did? Is it something that we didn't do, that we should have, do, should have done, and now God is punishing us? Well, you know, to be, uh, to be clear or to speak the truth, God does discipline his children when we sin. Uh, scripture is very clear. Every good parent knows that uh, if you love your child, you're going to discipline them, even though it can be painful. You want your children to, to, to walk rightly uh, and, and to learn, and discipline is one of the way that, ways that we do that. And there are times in life where we disobey God and um, as Pastor Terry was telling us last week, we shouldn't sin thinking, you know, God causes all things to work together for good. So I'm just going to do it knowing that he's going to cause things to work together for good. Our sins um, can have uh, consequences uh, that can be very difficult that we have to bear in this life. Um, I do want to say with that, that God is gracious. He can forgive and he can redeem, but there are often consequences because of our sins. But not in this case. Not in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke, I believe, has intentionally made it clear that their barrenness is not due to sin or disobedience to God. Now, again, can you relate to this couple? Have you ever questioned God's plan for, for your life? What I mean by that is uh, you have this desire 
in your heart, and it's a good desire. Uh, you have a desire to, to do something good or, or to do something godly, uh, or you, you have, uh, you've prayed about it, you've, you've taken that, whatever that thing is that you're thinking about right now, you've taken it, you've laid it at the Lord's feet, uh, you have been faithful, you haven't been perfect, but you've been faithful to the Lord, and your situation, though, doesn't make sense at the, at the time. Why God is withholding this blessing, whatever this, this desire that you have from you. He's not allowing you to have it, or he's keeping you in a situation that you don't want to be in. He, or it might be that you uh, have these giftings that you want to use, and you really do have these giftings. And he's like, not letting you use them. That can be confusing, can it? That can make us question God. And if that's you, I want to remind you that if that's you and, and you're wondering why uh, you're not being able to do what you want to do or your circumstances are not making sense at the time right now, I want to encourage you that you are surrounded, you and I are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who can relate to that in the Scriptures. I mean, think about Noah. At the time, it did not make sense to build a boat on the top of a mountain and warn people of something called rain that they had never seen, if you believe that it had not rained at that point. That did not make sense at the time. It makes sense to us, perfect sense to us now, but not at the time. How about Abraham? It did not make sense at the time for him to leave his homeland and go out not knowing where he was going. It makes sense to us now, but not at the time. What about Joseph? Joseph, when he was in that Egyptian prison, it did not make sense at the time that he was in that prison for a probably around 13 years because he had served the Lord, because he had honored God by remaining sexually pure with regards to Potiphar's wife. And then one more, Gideon. Remember Gideon? He had 32,000 men to go to war. And it didn't make sense for God to say, nope, we're going all the way down to 300 men. And then I'm going to arm you with clay pots, torches, and trumpets, and you're going to conquer the Midianite uh, um, army of 135,000 people. That doesn't make sense then. It makes sense now. But God really makes sense in the moment, doesn't it? We can look back often, and it does make sense. And time after time after time after time, God's plan didn't make sense at the time. And, and if you're serving the Lord this morning and things are confusing, uh, your plan isn't going according to plan, well, I want to I remind you again, we can always and completely entrust ourselves to God. Uh, because he has a plan. And listen, sometimes he allows it not to make sense. And this is our second gospel truth. He allows it not to make sense because he uses it to reveal to us what's in our hearts. He will use his, uh, I'm going to use the word confusing to us, plan, to help us to see what's in our hearts. Now, he already knows what's in our hearts but he often allows us to be in situations that don't make sense so that we can see what's in our hearts. And, you know, one of the good things about Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were tested with uh, barrenness, and you know what was in their hearts? 
faithfulness. Their heart said this, you know what, God, we want children, but you said no, and that is not going to keep us from serving you. We're going to serve you regardless of our circumstances. We know that we can completely entrust ourselves to you. Now, they weren't perfect in that. As we see when Zechariah enters into the temple to burn incense. Now, in his day, there were about 18,000 to 20,000 priests. 18 to 20,000 priests in his day. And every year, 14 of them were selected to come and go before the Lord and to burn incense and to make prayers uh, on behalf of the people. Think about that. 14 people, 20,000 priests, to go and to serve the Lord before the, uh, to serve the Lord. And so you can imagine um, the honor, the ble- uh, how blessed uh, Zechariah must have felt as he per- participated in this truly once-in-a-lifetime uh, event. Uh, verse 11, it says this, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw and fear fell upon him. Now, have you, have you ever seen an angel? I have once in my lifetime, and I married her. I did, but, (laughs) come on, y'all, that was good. I've been waiting on that one. Scotty, I've been waiting on that one this whole sermon. (laughs) I saw you guys taking, the men took notes. That was the one time the men were taking notes. All right. Oh, man, I could go on with that one, but I'm not. That word troubled, okay, Zachariah, and now I've got your attention again. Zachariah was troubled. That word troubled. It means to be shaken or to be stirred up. Uh, that, that, that's to show that Zechariah was terrified when he came into the presence of a perfect and holy angel of God. Uh, and that's, that goes, uh, we see that all throughout Scripture when people come in contact with angels. They are always fearful because they're aware of their sinfulness and God's judgment that they deserve. Verse 13 says, But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Don't be afraid because I'm, I'm bringing you good news, basically. I'm not, this Advent is not about judgment. It's about mercy and grace. He says, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And so the angel goes from there and he proceeds to tell, uh, tell him that John would be the messenger that was prophesied in the book of Malachi that I read earlier in, in my message here. And that this John would prepare the way for the Messiah. He would turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. There's a, oh, I'd love to preach a whole message on that. I have before, but turn the hearts of the, of the fathers back to, to the children and uh, make a people prepared for the Lord. And what God's plan does in this situation, it reveals Zechariah's heart, doesn't it? Because in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? 
For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And if you read a little bit further down to verse 34, we come to the account where, where the, uh, the angel is talking to Mary. He is telling her that she's going to have the Messiah. And look what she says. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And now most of us, if you know the story, you know that Zacharias was disciplined by God in this, right? He was struck dumb. He could not speak until John was born. But Mary wasn't. Mary wasn't. And we don't have time to go all the way into this, but why is that? Why, why was Mary rewarded and Zechariah was not? Well, it's because Mary believed that with God, all things are possible. And Zechariah, in that moment, didn't. He looked at his circumstances and believed them over God's word. And because God's plan uh, doesn't make sense at times, it has a way of revealing what's in our hearts. And, that, and in those moments, we have a choice that we're either going to trust the Lord or we're going to trust our circumstances. Now, sometimes God's plan uh, reveals that our hearts are full of faith, just like Mary's in this situation. But it can also reveal, like I just said, pockets of unbelief like it does in Zechariah. Pockets of unbelief that we weren't aware of. We thought we were here, but God's like, through the circumstances, like, okay, I'm actually here. And so it exposes our hearts. And for me, sometimes it exposes covetousness in, in my heart. Um, I can find myself, God has given me my plan, and I can look at my plan, and then I can look over at my neighbor's plan, and I'm like, man, their plan's better than my plan. Uh, I got T-Mobile and they got Verizon. You know, they've got a lot less dropped calls than I do, right? I want to trade my, I want that plan over there. And uh, it, it seems like in, in my mind, I'm like, man, it always works out for that person. Um, the, I, or I want their giftings or I, I want, uh, maybe it's their health or the relationships, their skills. Uh, man, if I had that opportunity, I would be blah, blah, blah. You know, I want what God has planned for them. And, and, you know, if that's where you're at this morning, I want to just tell you that God is calling you to repent. He's saying you need to turn, uh, change your mind and realize that the plan uh, that I have given you, the purposes that I have for you, have been specially tailored by me for you to glorify me and to grow you in your sanctification. And, and when we're in that space, we need to remember, and this is the last gospel truth, that God's plan is always superior to ours. When we're tempted to question God's plan, we need to remember that God's plan, the plan, is always superior to ours. And I asked you, uh, I began by asking you a question, if you ever question God's plan for your life. And, you know, basically, life's not going uh, like you imagined it. You, um, you thought by this time in your life you would be here, but you're still here. 
and uh, your plans aren't going as planned, and, and you've done everything you know to do. You've exhausted all the energy that you can within your power to do something about your situation. You've been faithful where you are, where God has you, but it's clear that his plan for your life is what you're in right now. For how long, you don't know. And I don't want to minimize this with whatever you have before you that you're struggling with. I don't want to minimize that and say that this isn't hard or this isn't difficult or you just need to trust God and get over it. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to minimize the pain or the frustration or the confusion that you are sometimes or that you're experiencing right now. Now, for some of us, God is going, guess what? He is going to give you what you desire. Some of us, he is going to do that. I think for most of us, he does that in different areas that we we may not be aware of at the time. For some of us, he's going to allow us to understand, in part, why you had to go through that difficult situation. Um, Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, or like in my case with construction, I can look back, we can look back at these accounts and go, okay, that makes sense. And, and, you know, we all, we all want to have a Zechariah and Elizabeth Hallmark story ending uh, situation where just everything just works out great, where we can say that God has taken away our reproach from among people. We all want to have that. And, And I love it when he does. I rejoice when he does. He knows when to do it and when not to. But you know what? Listen, there are times where God's plan is not going to make sense this side of eternity. Sometimes we're not going to get clarity. Sometimes you're not going to get closure on something in this life. Sometimes you're not going to realize that dream that you have in your heart in this lifetime. And you know what? Truth is, some dreams... Uh, won't even be realized in eternity. And that right there is where you have to ask yourself, can I always completely entrust myself to God when the plan doesn't make sense? Can I trust that his plan is superior to mine? Are you willing, and this is, This is the application this morning. Are you willing to take your plans as good as they are, your dreams, your level of understanding? Basically, are you willing to take your life and sacrifice it on the altar before the Lord? And trust him, knowing that he sacrificed his son his life, to make you his? That's the question that we have to ask. That's the question that we really have to ask every day. And you know, really, God's plan is one that, for me and for you, uh, will never fully make sense, even in eternity. The wonder of wonders. Why God, the God of the universe, sent his son, why he sent him to take on flesh as we sang this morning, to dwell among us. 
to come down and to allow the serpent to bruise his heel, to be put to death on a cross for our sins, to, to be buried, only to rise again to crush the head of the serpent, that we might be called children of God. That will never fully make sense, will it? It will always produce praise and worship to our God. But that is the, that plan is the plan as we meditate upon it, as we believe. It trumps our plans, doesn't it? God, I trust you with my life, and you can do with my life whatever you see fit because I know that I can completely entrust myself to you because you have a plan. And so this morning, I don't know, again, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you have never come to the Lord and given your life to him. And the things I'm sharing this morning, you've woken up to that and said, I never realized what God has done for me through his son. But I want to give my life to him this morning. I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord Jesus and ask him to save you. Tell him that, that you believe that he came to die for you and that you want him to be your Lord and Savior. To the church, I want to, I want to encourage you, and we're going to talk about this in missional communities this week. Do you have something this morning that you're saying, I know I, what you're talking about is my plan, and I need to put it before the Lord this morning? I want to encourage you, whatever that is, I want to encourage you to put it before the Lord, trusting him that he will do what's best. Amen? Amen.